You are listening to the East Point Church Sermon Podcast. We're a church that exists to glorify God as a gospel community that is growing in faith and reaching the world. From wherever you are listening, we hope that you are encouraged and challenged by today's sermon. Good morning, East Point Church. How are you guys? I said, how are you guys? It is good to be with you. Man, you guys are a beautiful church. Do you know that? Do they tell you that enough around here? Seriously, man, it is good to gather as a family. That's what we are, right? We are people who are following Jesus Christ. He has reached down and saved us. And when he saves us, he doesn't just like, he's not collecting individuals. Jesus is not just like grabbing single people. He's adopting us like children and he brings us into a family. And so every time we get to gather with the family, this is special. And so thank you for being here. Uh, Go ahead and open up your Bibles. This is the highlight of our week. Open up your Bibles to the book of Mark. If you're using one of the Bibles that we provide in the back, we're on page 836. And we are on a journey right now through the Gospel of Mark. We're going back to the beginning when Jesus Christ first arrived on the scene. And so as we go through the book of Mark called The Arrival, we're going back to ground zero where it all began. And as we begin this morning, I want you to imagine that the alarm clock is going off at 6.45 a.m. Jerusalem Standard Time. There's no traveling today in Jerusalem because today is the Sabbath. And so you and your family, you enjoy a nice breakfast around the table. You enjoy the scenery, skipping rocks on the lake as you take your leisurely stroll to the synagogue. Well, you must have lost track of time because you walk right in as the music is wrapping up. Late again. And so you duck your head, you make your way over to your usual seat. The leader of the synagogue is up front, and he announces that today there is a guest speaker. You groan inwardly. You wish you would have known. You would have stayed home. The last guest speaker they brought in was rough. Which confusing scholar were they bringing in this week? As they introduce him, you miss his name because you're already planning your exit. How can you excuse yourself early this time? As you lean forward and prepare to duck out of your seat, the guest speaker at the front sits down on his stool and he starts reading from Moses. There's something about his voice that glues you to your chair. He reads so smoothly as if he was speaking it, not reading it. He closes the scroll And he begins explaining the passage, and he's going for so long until you realize he doesn't have any notes. You see, Rabbi Yosef, he always has multiple scrolls hanging from the podium. He's always quoting commentary upon commentary, scholar after scholar, reading from his thick notes. But this speaker, he's not quoting anyone. He's just talking. He speaks so matter-of-fact. He doesn't have that chip-on-the-shoulder eagerness to prove himself like many of the new young rabbis. He's just so confident. Everyone is focused. They're locked in. They're hanging on every word that this guest speaker is saying. Who did he study under? Whose, Whose disciple is this? Which rabbi did he sit under for his education? 
you lean over to your neighbor and you ask, what's the speaker's name again? I missed it. As those around you look at you and give you the death stare for talking, she leans over and whispers back, his name is Jesus from Nazareth. Who? You wonder as you stare at him, who is this Jesus guy? Who is this Jesus guy? This is the question that hundreds of people are going to be asking by the end of this Sabbath day in Galilee. This is the question that many of you in this room are asking as you're here. Who is this Jesus guy? Friends, this is the question that your coworkers, that your neighbors, that your teenagers are asking. Who is this Jesus guy? And for the next few moments, we're going to continue our journey through the book of Mark, where Mark, he starts to answer that question. He says, I'm not going to tell you, I'm going to show you. I'm not just going to talk about who Jesus is. I am going to demonstrate who he is as I thrust you into the action. As you are immediately pushed into the narrative, we are going to see who this Jesus guy is and what he's all about. For the last few weeks, we've already got a glimpse, remember? We saw this Jesus get baptized, and as he's coming out of the water, the Father calls him his son, and he puts on him his spirit, basically crowning him as the king of his kingdom, the divine representative ruler who will rule and reign over God's economy in this new administration is Jesus. And today, friends, the picture of this king is going to come into more and more focus The purpose of his kingdom is going to dawn on us as we see him in action. And this morning, we are going to see that he who was crowned has come for the captives. He who was crowned has come for the captives. Are you ready to see this crowned king in action? Are you ready to see Mark write, not with a pencil, not with a quill, but with a paintbrush? Are you ready? All right, let's do this, friends. This is the highlight of our week. We're having fun this morning. You ready? All right, here we go. Beginning in verse 21. This is our story, okay? And they went into Capernaum, and immediately on the Sabbath he entered the synagogue and was teaching. And they were astonished at his teaching, for he taught them as one who had authority and not as the scribes. And immediately there was in their synagogue a man with an unclean spirit, And he cried out, What have you to do with us, Jesus of Nazareth? Have you come to destroy us? I know who you are, the Holy One of God. But Jesus rebuked him, saying, Be silent and come out of him. And the unclean spirit, convulsing him and crying out with a loud voice, came out of him. And they were all amazed, so that they questioned among themselves, saying, What is this? A new teaching with authority. He commands even the unclean spirits and they obey him. And at once his fame spread everywhere throughout all the surrounding region of Galilee. Let's pause our story here. Who is Jesus? What is this guy all about? What is he doing here? And the first thing we realize, friends, is that the king confronts the domain of darkness. The king has come to confront the domain of darkness. And so here's Jesus, and we find him in the synagogue. They've taken a break for Sabbath. They've taken a break from all of their travels, and they decide to go back to Capernaum. They're going to go to Peter's house. 
They're hanging out at Simon's place. And so they're in his hometown, and they attend the local synagogue, and we learn that Jesus has the privilege this morning of being the guest teacher. He is there, and he was teaching. He's unpacking the scriptures. He's reading from what we call the Old Testament, and then he's explaining it. And as he teaches, it says that the people were astonished. They're blown away. Everything about him, his demeanor, his style, the way that he teaches, this is unlike anything that they've experienced. This is completely other than what they're used to from the scribes. He is teaching with authority. Here's what that means. You see that the way, the way that a scribe would normally teach, they would come into the pulpit and they would have the commentaries out, right? And the scrolls. And basically, it's not so much that they were explaining the scriptures as it was they were giving a history of the explanation. The scribe had no authority in himself to definitively say this is what it means, right? His authority was a borrowed one. He was authoritative to the degree that he tied his teaching to the fathers of the faith, right? To the scholars who came before. And so a scribe, he'd be up there and there'd be a lot of, well, as Gamaliel once said, blah, 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 blah. As Father Halel said, this is what it means, right? And they were quoting the authorities as they talked. But Jesus comes and he's not quoting Jesus, he's speaking, and he's not saying, as Hillel said, and as Gamaliel said. Jesus is there, and he says, I say to you, this is what it is. I say to you, this is what God meant. I say to you, this is what God's mind and will are. He is unpacking the revelation of God with authority. He points and he explains definitively. He speaks with conviction as one who had authority. Jesus is speaking. He's handling the word as if he's the one who wrote it. You can imagine there's a few people in the crowd, at least, right, who are, ooh, is he allowed to do that? This is a little bit uncomfortable. Like, is Jesus allowed to speak so definitively? Like, is this out of bounds? I imagine the leader of the synagogue sitting on the front row already planning how to do damage control. When I get the mic back, how am I going to explain this situation? And he's just sweating, right? Does Jesus really have the authority to speak so definitively? You see, friends, we know the answer to that, right? Because we saw the baptism. We know that his authority doesn't come from the fathers of the faith. His authority comes from the Father in heaven, the reason why we began the story at the baptism is because we needed to hear that voice. We needed to see that all of the authority has been given to the Father because that is setting up the framework for everything to follow. He was crowned. He was given authority. He is the divine king of the kingdom. He is allowed to speak definitively for the Father as his representative ruler. You see, when Jesus shows up in the synagogue, it is within his rightful jurisdiction to unpack and explain the revelation of God because he is the revelation of God. He is the fullest expression of God's mind and will. And so when he says, this is what God thinks, this is what God speaks, he's not out of bounds. He is the word. He is the revelation. And so we know that. We know who he is. He's the king. He's God's ruler. But the people in the synagogue are about to discover for themselves just who he is. Look what happens. 
he shows up and the authority of Jesus, uh, the presence of Jesus' authority, it provokes some opposition. It draws out some of the foes. You see, most people responded with awe and astonishment. But there was one dude sitting on the front row. And this guy wasn't in awe. He was agitated, right? There was something in Jesus' presence that provokes this man. And Mark tells us why. It says he had an unclean spirit. He didn't shower? What? He came to synagogue? No. An unclean spirit in the book of Mark, these are used interchangeably with demon. Right? And so half the time he calls it a demon, half the time he refers to them as unclean spirits. And they're interchangeable, and yet unclean spirit is a more vivid description, is it not? It, it helps us understand the nature of this affliction a little bit better, in my opinion. Because when we hear the word demon, we think, okay, evil. But when we hear the word unclean, it reminds us that this demon is wreaking havoc on this man's social and spiritual life. Think about it. In a society that talked and thought in terms of clean and unclean, this man's affliction has rendered him unclean. It has rendered him unwelcome. Guys, he's an outcast. This is the guy in the lobby that people give a wide berth to. He's not getting invited to the Mexican restaurant for lunch after synagogue. He probably doesn't have a community group. He's not meeting with a bunch of brothers in the faith for Bible study. He has, this, this affliction has rendered him an outcast. He's in pain. He is severely isolated by the nature of his condition. He has an unclean spirit. You see, the min, this minion of Satan has put this man into a holistic hell. Body, mind, and spirit. Physically, emotionally, and socially. Does this not sound like the exact kind of man who might be interested in this new kingdom that we've been talking about? Does this not sound like the kind of person who would benefit from a meeting with the king of this new kingdom? I think so. And so good news, the king has come to synagogue this morning. And so here we are, this man under the influence of a demon. He cries out, what have you to do with us, Jesus of Nazareth? Have you come to destroy us? I know who you are, the Holy One of God. Frothing at the mouth, filled with contempt, spitting mockeries at him, he interrupts Jesus. Like, imagine, right? Like, I, I went to school for this thing, right? I went to, like, pastor school. There was no class that covered, hey, so if a man stands up in the front row with an unclean spirit and he interrupts the sermon, right? I'm like, security? Like, what do we do, you know? And so this man stands up. He literally interrupts Jesus. And as he does, do you notice this? I find this fascinating. He knows who Jesus is, Right? And we'll see this through the book of Mark. As a supernatural force themselves, the demons, they recognize the presence and the authority of the supernatural king, even before humanity does. You see, these demons, they are privy to the arrival of the king and what it means for them. They know that the arrival of the king spells their end. And so what do they do? They try to stir up trouble for Jesus. They make a scene. They are disrupting him. Notice the tactic that they use, and they're going to do this a lot in the book of Mark. They prematurely throw the label Messiah out there because they know that that's controversial. 
And so if they can get people caught up in their political debate rather than with their eyes on Jesus, the demons are going, yeah, yeah, he's the Messiah, yeah. Trying to distract people prematurely. So here we go. Man in the front row versus the king of heaven. The one anointed with God's spirit versus unclean spirits. Friends, this is a title match. The son of God versus the minions of Satan. Are you ready? Are you ready for this battle? Are you ready for this showdown? Realize this is Jesus' first encounter, okay? This is the first time that we see Jesus in a power encounter. This is the first time that we see him about to engage in this miracle, and we need to pay attention. We need to realize why Mark puts this first. This is the first time we see Jesus go head-to-head with someone because in this battle, in this encounter, we realize exactly who Jesus has come to oppose. Here we see a picture that, the, that his primary enemy are the forces of darkness. Jesus has come to confront the power structure of evil. That's why the demon, listen to how he speaks. Why does he use plural? He says, you've come to us. He says this, you've come to destroy us. He uses plural because he knows that Jesus has not simply come to defeat one individual demon. He has come to lay waste to the entire dominion of Satan. The evil spirit knows that his mission is to establish the kingdom. For a couple weeks, we've been talking about Jesus is establishing a kingdom. He is erecting a new reality, an alternative reality, a new administration and economy. But friends, this kingdom... He's not building it in a vacuum. He's building it in a war zone. He's not erecting this kingdom on 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 neutral ground. He is coming onto Satan's turf, directly confronting the domain of Satan, the kingdom of darkness. Jesus is taking ground on the enemy's turf. Let me say it this way. The arrival of Jesus is the equivalent to the storming of the gates of hell. And we're about to realize that the gates of hell will not prevail. As he does this, we see the extent of his authority. And so here we go, back to the showdown, okay? Back to the showdown. There's a battle here. This is going to be huge, right? Tidal weight, heavyweight fight, demon versus God. Here we go. No, there's no battle. You're like, but I just paid so many, so many dollars for this ringside seat. I wanted to see a fight. No, friends, this was over before it started. This was a no-contest event because look what he does. Jesus stands up and he speaks. No ritual, no extended wrestling match. This is not like Lord of the Rings where Gandalf is like, ah, and the other guy, I don't even know his name, but he's like, ah, and there's just this like, power struggle, right? But don't worry, goodness will prevail. Nope. Jesus speaks. And with a word, with with just a command of his mouth, he just says, come out. Come out of him. Jesus is not sweating. There's no veins bulging from his neck as he wrestles with the powers of evil. He just speaks. You see, this demon was trying to cause a scene for Jesus. He was trying to disrupt his ministry, and all he did was give a perfect opportunity for the full might and power of Jesus to be on display. This is an authority to which even demons must obey and jump at the command of his voice. Come out. 
and they flee. Leave, and they're gone. You see, this is not the kind of story, friends, that you can keep from going viral, as you can imagine, right? Like, if you were to see what was trending on Twitter that day, friends, it says it here. At once, his fame spread everywhere. Hashtag, a day in the synagogue to remember. What is going on here? Demons? I'm saying, what? This is 2022. Come on, we're talking about demons? Come on. I mean, like, what does it mean, though? You know, all we know about mental health and, you know, our different worldview and science. Come on. Like, we're talking about demons on a Sunday morning, Sam? See, one of my favorite authors, his name was C.S. Lewis. He's a, a philosopher, an author, uh, a lay theologian, you can call him. But he, this is my friend, by the way. We took that picture yesterday. Uh, he, he told me something yesterday, um, posthumously, in writing. But he has this quote about demons, and I loved it, right? Living in the late 1800s, early 1900s, and listen to what he says. He says, there are two equal and opposite errors into which our race can fall about the devils. One is to disbelieve in their existence. The other is to believe and to feel an excessive and unhealthy interest in them. They themselves are equally pleased by both errors and hail a materialist or a magician with the same delight. You see, some of us in this room, we fall into the first camp. We're materialists. All that exists is what we can see and what we can touch, right, and what we can smell. Like, the physical realm is all there is. We're materialists. Others of us in this room, we may fall into the other camp. He calls them magicians. <laughs> like, where's your hat? Not like that magician, but there, there's this unhealthy obsession and fixation with the supernatural, and there's just, we just kind of have this weird, like, ooh, I want to dabble, and, and, and that's where, that, that penchant, that tendency is where, you know, the occult comes from, and Wicca, and all these, you know, things, just this unhealthy obsession. And C.S. Lewis says, he goes, demons, they hail both with the same delight. They like it when humans deny their existence, and they love it when humans are obsessed with their existence. And you see, Jesus comes here, friends, and in this story, as he confronts a demon, he is correcting the materialists among us who deny such things. There is an enemy of our soul. There is an enemy who opposes God. But let's be clear, this is not like the dark side versus the light side. Two equal forces that are, who's going to win in the end and maybe God will edge them. No, no. There is God and there is everything else. Creator, creation. And so even the demons, even the, the dark forces that we tend to be so scared of as a society and as a race, he goes, let me put the org chart very clear for you. Demons that you're so scared of? Me. I spoke the entire world into existence, and at my voice, those things must leave. And so in this confrontation, he corrects the materialist among us, but he also sets those of us straight who have an unhealthy interest. Those of us who fixate or even fear such things. The point of this story, friends, is not to fixate. The point of this story is not to write a book on how to categorize demons. Well, you have level one demons, they start out here in this realm. And then level two demons, oh man, they have a little bit more territory. And then there's like level three demons, and they have regions. And The point of this story is not to create a taxonomy of demons. The point of this story is not to get our eyes on the supernatural evil. As we see demons flee at his word, our eyes should be drawn to the supernatural king. That's the point. 
We are to conclude with the people in Galilee that his authority is absolute, that he commands even the unclean spirits, and they obey him. His dominance, his supremacy over the supernatural realm that exists is complete. Friends, he said it last week, the kingdom of God is here. And now as we see the inbreaking of that kingdom, as we see the power of that kingdom coming in and restoring the world, we are assured that this king's kingship is not a lame duck administration. This is a king with real authority. And his restoration, it starts first, not in the human arena, but he first comes into the cosmic arena. He comes among the supernatural forces who exercise power over the natural order. So are you a materialist? Are you a magician? Fix your eyes on Jesus, the king whose power is complete. Why did he do this? Why did he come? Why is this a confrontation in the synagogue that day? Well, think about it. He speaks, the demon flees, but who remains? Who's still sitting there on the front row, dazed and confused? It's the one who was afflicted. The prisoner to the forces of evil is still there. And as he sits there, perhaps in his right mind for the first time in a long time, we are reminded, oh yeah, he who was crowned has come for the captives. The point of this story is to see how he is setting people free. Friends, this is not about two chess players duking it out on the battlefield in the realm of humans. This is not like your favorite Marvel movie, right? Where you have like these cosmic beings and they're on earth and the humans are props, right? And they're like, stay out of the way, don't get crushed, right? And they're just props as these cosmic beings battle. When Jesus does battle with the enemy, human beings are not the props. They're the point. They're the point of the battle. They're the reason why when he sees the pain and affliction, his kingly authority rises from within him and he says, I'm going to do something about that out. You see, this is not just a display of his supernatural authority. This is also a display of his tremendous heart for redemption for you and for me. He's expelling unclean spirits in order to restore broken people. His heart is to bring us back to health back to wholeness, to bring us back into relationship with the creator in whose image we are made. And so he sees a man who is crippled and captive by a demon and his kingly love rises up and he says, this is why I came. He is opposing the domain of Satan. It's as if he's coming onto Satan's turf and he's binding up the strong man who's watching guard over the prisoners of war. And now with the, the strong man bound up, he's leading these captives out to freedom. This is good news for those who are afflicted. This is good news for the oppressed and the hurting. This is good news for those who are captive to the powers of darkness. He who was crowned has come for the captives. And here's the thing, we, we, we think of darkness and demons and evil and we're thinking like fantastic supernatural stuff. But here's what the Bible tells us, biblically speaking, we are all born under the influence of the domain of darkness. We are all at birth, we are perpetuating the ethos, not of God's kingdom, we're perpetuating the ethos 
of the domain of darkness and the way that we talk and in our actions and all of these things. In Colossians 1.13, this is what he says. Paul says in verse 13, he has delivered us from the domain of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved son. Friends, there may not be any exorcisms this morning in our church, right? Because I didn't cover that in school. No, no I'm kidding. <laughs> there may not be any supernatural displays in the light show, but every time that a human heart comes to Jesus, every time someone's eyes are opened and they go, I get it. That is an example of Jesus by his power removing the veil and dispelling the forces of evil and transferring us. We were citizens of the domain of darkness and he's transferred into the kingdom of his beloved son. Every time somebody comes up here and gets baptized, we are seeing that he has confronted the domain of darkness. Every time your child comes and says, parent, I, I, I want to live for Jesus for the rest of my life. I get it. Can I get baptized? Can I take communion now? I get it. There's a miracle. There is the demonstration of his power over the domain of darkness. There is our reminder that he who was crowned has come for the captives. He has authority, friends. He has authority over the domain of darkness. Demons bow to him. And as we continue our story here, we're going to see that demons are not the only thing that bow to him. Demons are not the only thing that say how high when he speaks and says jump. Look what else, as we finish our story, look what else responds to the authority of Jesus. And immediately he left the synagogue and he entered the house of Simon and Andrew with James and John. Now Simon's mother-in-law lay ill with a fever and immediately they told him about her. And he came and took her by the hand and lifted her up and the fever left her and she began to serve them. That evening at sundown, they brought to him all who were sick or oppressed by demons. And the whole city was gathered together at the door. And he healed many who were sick with various diseases and cast out many demons. And he would not permit the demons to speak because they knew him. Who is Jesus? What is he doing here? What, 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 what's the point of this whole thing again? Well, we learned that the king confronts the domain of darkness but also the king gives hope over the dread of disease. And so they leave the synagogue, right? They're, they're leaving a day to remember at the synagogue, and maybe Jesus is explaining to them what happened as they walk home, and Peter says, hey guys, let's go to my house for lunch. It's on me. You know, and they get home, and, and he's making the peanut butter and hummus sandwiches. He's got the olives. You guys know the green olives, right, with the garlic in it? What? Oh, man, we got to have like a church picnic or something. Come on, the olives, and they have like the garlic, or you can get them with the jalapenos. Come on, there's like a classic Mediterranean thing going on here. And, and they're just talking, and Peter's like cooking up his thing in the kitchen, and, and they're just talking, and, uh, and Jesus goes, hey, where's your mom? And Peter's kind of breathes heavy, and he goes, ah, yeah, mom's sick. Mom has a fever. You see, we think of fever, and we go, oh, good, it's a Motrin, Right? Like you just have a temperature. You have a little temperature, sleep it off. But here it says that she lay ill with a fever, friends. This is not just a temperature. She was sick. She was like really sick. These are those moments of dread. These are the moments of pain at the side of someone's sickbed that you only know if you've been there. These are the moments where the doctor's diagnosis comes back and you feel like you're having an out-of-body experience, right? And it's just like the fabric of your whole life is being torn. And the illusions of immortality are ripped away. 
the reality of life in a fallen world just really dawns on you and settles in. This could end in death. This is scary. They are dreading this disease and what could come of it. And so they tell Jesus. They're just telling him. That's not even a request necessarily. They, remember, at this point in the story, they may have not even seen Jesus heal someone. This is all so new. And so they're just telling Jesus, yeah, she's sick. This is what's going on. It doesn't seem like it's getting any better. And Jesus immediately he stands up, puts his sandwich down, walks over, grabs the mother-in-law by the hand and lifts her up. And at his touch, as their fingers connect, as he lays his hand against her hand, the fever does the same exact thing that the demon did earlier at his voice. And notice here, right, he doesn't need to speak to exercise his authority. We already thought that he was so powerful because he spoke to the demon, right? He just spoke, and here he doesn't even speak. He just wills it. The king decides that it will be so, and at his touch, it is so. It says here, the fever left her. <laughs> what a funny way to describe How many of you talk like that? How's your daughter? The fever has departed her, right? <laughs> the fever left her. The fever just left yesterday, packed its bags and went on its way. Like how many of you, you put the fever as the subject of your sentence, right? No, she is doing better. She is recovering. She's feeling good. But we see that the fever is the subject here. The fever left her. It's as if the fever is being personified. The fever is described as getting up and walking away and leaving because here we learn that disease, that the realm of sickness and decay is just as subject to the authority of this king as the domain of darkness. Even disease responds and has to go when the king says it is so. Remember who's telling this story? Mark is writing the story, but do you remember who's giving Mark the firsthand account? It's Peter. And whose mother-in-law is this? It's Peter's. And so that's why this low-key miracle, if you can call it that, this is not recorded in the other Gospels. Like this, is, this has that feeling of kind of like a private side conversation of Mark. Did I ever tell you about lunch at my house? Did I ever tell you what Jesus did? Oh, man, did I ever tell you about that? And you can almost like, you, you, can, you can picture Peter smiling as he reminisces. You, you can hear him as he recounts that day that maybe not a lot of people knew, but him and his family would never forget. He says, man, I just remember how drastic the switch was. This wasn't like when you're recovering and you're like, you know, yeah, I'm, I'm kind of better. I mean, yeah, yeah, I think now that I think about it, I think I'm better. No, no, this was like night and day. She was laying ill with a fever. Boom, she began to serve them. He just laughed. He's like, dude, it was like, it blew my mind. Like she was deathbed, and then boom, Betty Crocker, recipe books out, and she started baking cookies. It was just like, I'm not feeling it, I'm feeling it. I'm in bed, I'm serving, and Peter's just laughing, and he goes, man, I think that's what I knew. That's when I knew that we were not dealing with just a regular rabbi. He goes, that's when me and my wife knew that the one that we were dealing with here had authority over realms that we didn't even know existed, that the one we are dealing with here is the king who has come in power as the father's representative ruler. King Jesus has authority. And today, on this Sabbath day that they'll never forget, he flexes his might. He demonstrates his authority over the two things that have wreaked havoc on humanity forever. The two things that afflict us. The two most scariest things that we could conceive us as a human species. 
the dread of the, the demonic and the dread of disease. Darkness and sickness. And Jesus comes and he confronts, oh, the whole city was gathered together. We'll come back to this. He confronts the domain of darkness. He comes and he gives hope over the dread of disease. It says the whole city was gathered at his house. And notice, notice which two things that he highlights here. All who were sick or oppressed by demons. He highlights out of this crowd many who had diseases and those who were oppressed by demons. The two things, friends, he confronts the darkness. He gives hope over disease. Why? Because he who was crowned has come for the captives. The scariest, the most intimidating things to us as fragile human beings, Jesus shows up and he confronts them both directly. He says, no more fear, no more dread, no more supernatural superstition of trying to appease. The he goes, no, I am the king. I am more powerful. My authority far surpasses both the domain of darkness and the domain of disease. They will not have any space in my kingdom, for I have come to rescue. And so here's my question, friends. Here's how I want to end. How big is your picture of God? How big is your picture of God? You see, many of us, we come in here and we have a God that we can fit in our pockets. We have a God who's kind of on the periphery and he's there if he needs us, but really, friends, hey, human beings, this is up to us. So we're going to grind it out, we're going to get going, and we're going to stick together, and hey, every once in a while, just like my grandpa, he's going to send us a little bonus help. You know, you get that random check in the mail from grandpa. And it's like, hey, we got like, we just like landed on the, on the Monopoly board and we got an extra $200. Let's go. You know, it's like, we got to figure this out, but then he'll help us every once in a while if he has time. Is that your little God? The little God that you can hold on to that fits in the palm of your hand? Well, that's lame. We're worshiping things that we've created in our image. And Jesus shows up, and it's as if we're staring at our God. We go, look at Jesus. You like my Jesus? He's on my Instagram bio. I'm a follower. I'm a Christian. This is my religious affiliation. And Jesus walks into the room with all of his authority, and it's like his domain. And it's like he just, you can feel the influence and the authority in the room. And you look up, and you're like, oh, we drop it, right? I want to serve that God. I want to follow that king. Friends, do you fear the darkness? Are you fixated with, maybe you're even dabbling with supernatural stuff or evil? King Jesus shows up in his authority and in a word, with his mouth, he demonstrates his absolute supremacy over all of the realms. In a word, he reminds us of the power of the one who spoke things into existence. That's our king. Do you fear evil? Experiencing the dread of sickness? Do you despair over the condition of disease? In Jesus' kingdom, there will be no more pain, friends. There's no more tears. There's no more sickness. And these little tastes of healing, these little glimpses of what things are going to be like fully in the kingdom, they make us yearn and we say, Lord, come quickly. Would you establish your kingdom?
You see, because the kingdom, it's already here, right? Like he said it last week, the kingdom is here. But, but we have this phrase we use, it's called the already, but not yet. It's like when the president is like voted in in November. He's already the president, but like not yet. He's not inaugurated yet. He's inaugurated, but not consummated. He's like, he just, he's not there. The kingdom is here. Jesus has received the crown. He's the king. But we have yet to experience the fullness of when he establishes his kingdom perfectly on earth, where we will experience fully what we are just getting now in little taste and glimpse. And we live in this in-between, in this gap period. And as we're here in the gap period, we yearn, we long, and we comfort our hearts and we say, do not fear death, for he has defeated it. Put your hope in the king, friends. It's just a matter of time. He who was crowned has come for the captives, and he did it, and he completed it. So how big is your God? How big is the picture of Jesus you have? As you sing these final songs, close your eyes and picture. He is the king. He's standing over the cosmos, and we get to serve him family, on his side. It's a good place to be. Let's pray. Father, thank you, Lord, for your word. God, thank you for showing us Jesus. Thank you for opening our eyes to realize just how powerful and how big he is. Lord, I pray that we would leave here and that we would live in light of his authority. We would live in light of his magnitude. That fear would be dispelled. That dread would evaporate that the circumstances and situations that we face, that the ones that intimidate us and that instill fear in us, we would realize that you're bigger than all of it. And not only are you bigger, but you're compassionate. Not only do you have authority, but you have a heart for redemption. And so in your authority, Lord, after being crowned, you came for the captives. So Lord, set us free. Set us free from those footholds of the enemy. Set us free from the, 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 the ethos of the domain of darkness that still influences our way of being. Set us free. Set those free, Lord, who are still blind to your identity. For those who are still pursuing the kingdom of me, open their eyes to see just how beautiful it is to live in the kingdom of God. Save people, Lord. Transfer them from the domain of darkness to the kingdom of your beloved Son. We love you, Father. We hail the King all of his power and majesty and might. We will sing of that forever. We love you, Lord, and we praise you. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. We want to thank you again for joining us for this week's sermon podcast. My name is Daniel, and I'm the music and creative pastor here at East Point Church. And if you were challenged, encouraged, or impacted in any way by this week's sermon, we would love to hear about it. It's your stories that encourage us and what we do, and we just want to celebrate what God is doing in your life. So you can go ahead and share with us at podcast at epeaston.com. Also, make sure that you subscribe to our channel to stay up to date with the latest sermons. Have a great week. We want to thank.